or during first service, that video made me want to go to camp. Other than the ketchup and mustard experience. That, we can leave that out. Other than that, though, it looked awesome. So that was great. Uh, so glad you're with us this morning. Welcome to FBC. If you want to open up a Bible with me, you can turn to Romans 12, uh, verse 4. That's our main text for the morning. There are some Bibles in the seats uh, in front of you. If you need one, or if you brought one with you, that's great. Or follow along on your phone, whatever you need to do. Again, Romans 12, verse 4 is where we're going to be. Big shout out to Pastor Lee last week for a great message in the parables series where he did a mic drop on our parables summer series. We're done with the summer series through the parables where we took a different story of Jesus each week and explored it together. So I hope you enjoyed that. I really did. And next week we're starting our fall series, which is going to be in the book of Exodus, which is very exciting. Hence the Prince of Egypt movie night to kick that all off. It's going to be great. You know, if you've been here for some time, you know that kind of our usual Sunday morning routine is to be in a book of the Bible, walking through section by section. And so this fall and beyond, we're going to be in Exodus. It's going to take us a little while, but that's okay. I'm really looking forward to that. But that leaves us with today, kind of standalone Sunday after the summer series, before the fall series, a special day where we can look at what our life together in the next few months could look like. With our kickoff Sunday, we're going to talk about as the fall settles in and summer schedules settle down and things get in rhythm for the next few months, school and things like that, we get to see what are the things that we should be about together for the next few months. I'm not in school anymore, but still, this time of year always feels like the start of something new. It always feels like a new beginning, a special time as the weather changes, as football comes back. Come on, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. So we're gonna talk about, okay, as a church, what should life look like together? You know, back in 2011, a book came out called You Lost Me. It's put out by the Barna Research Group, which is an organization that uh, does surveys and studies a lot about faith and religion and church. And this book, You Lost Me, was about studying why young people were leaving the church or why it seemed that young people were not as interested in being a part of a church anymore. And so they went around and they talked to all these Sunday school dropouts and wanted to hear what was leading them that direction, what causes. And the number one thing that young people mentioned as a reason they left the church was because pastors started wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> I know, it's an epidemic in our culture. That's a joke. They didn't say that at all. Uh, but what they did mention, what they did mention, one of the reasons was that they had trouble seeing how church connected to the rest of their lives. They had trouble seeing how faith in Jesus impacted their purpose and meaning in life, why they were here. In one particular survey, it found that only one out of four, only one out of four young people were able to see their purpose in life better because of their time in church. Same survey found that only one out of four young people learned to view their gifts and passions as part of God's calling on their life. And so there was a disconnect between what they talked about on Sunday and then the rest of their lives. 
And so these people grew discouraged and disillusioned and started to walk away from church because they didn't see how it was relevant to their lives. If we're honest, that's not just a young people problem. In fact, probably many of us in this room can relate to struggling sometimes to connect the dots with how following Jesus impacts our purpose and our meaning in life and what we should be about. We know we have this great gospel of salvation. We are saved and forgiven of our sins and have eternal life in Christ. What does that mean for the rest of my years here on earth? What does that mean for my hours and my day and my week as I look out at my life ahead? It's really sad when we fail to make this connection. It's tragic, and it's also ironic. Because think about it. Jesus has given us the most compelling, big-picture mission and vision imaginable. The most compelling, highest calling, biggest purpose for our lives we could possibly imagine. If you were here a few weeks ago, maybe you remember one of our missionaries, Kent Matsui, speaking on Matthew 28. He talked about what Jesus called us to. In that text, which says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus elsewhere told his followers in Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, as followers of Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sins. We have this transformed life and relationship with God. We found eternal life in him. And then as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are sent out on mission to make more disciples, to help other people hear about Jesus and find life and transformation in Jesus. And then he calls his disciples to be light in the world to live in such a way that the love of God and the grace of God would be made visible, that people would see who God is and how we love and treat them and sacrifice for them and even love our enemies and people who insult us. Called to be light of the world. And so following Jesus is not just salvation for later, although it is that, it's also a transformed life of purpose and calling now. And the way we phrase it around here is we'll say we want to see lives transformed by the gospel for the glory of God and the good of our world. That's why we're here. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel for the glory of God and the good of our world. We're called to take the whole gospel to the whole world. It's a huge task, a huge purpose and calling. And so if that's the case, why do we sometimes hear those words and say, eh, why is there that disconnect? I mean, I get excited when cereal goes on sale at Rayleigh's. <laughs> Seriously, I text friends when cereal goes on sale at Rayleigh's. I get pumped up. 
We get excited about trivial things, things that are temporary, and yet we hear this big picture, eternal, life-changing, world-changing, eternity-changing call from Jesus, and we say, "Ah." where's the disconnect? I think that often the problem is not a misunderstanding about what should be done, but it's a misunderstanding about who should do it. It's not always an issue of understanding what should be done, but it's an issue of understanding who should do it. See, sometimes we hear the call to a life of mission with Jesus, and we think, well, that's, that's for someone else, probably. I mean, sure, come to Jesus for salvation. That's for everybody. That's for me, okay? But in terms of mission and service and contributing to the work of God in the world, well, that's, isn't that for pastors? Isn't that why we pay our pastors? Or isn't that for like church leaders or that like really spiritual friend of yours that kind of annoys you sometimes? Or that friend's mom who's just like praying all the time and they kind of, you know, it's like, isn't it for people like that? Sometimes we have a difficulty seeing how each of us are connected to that call, connected to the mission of God and the work of God in the world. And so to think through this, I want us to look at Romans chapter 12 and we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 12 a little bit as well to see what Scripture has to say about this. So Romans 12, you've already turned there. Verse 4, I'm going to read for us. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So Paul is reminding the church in Rome in the first century how they are to live in light of the gospel. The first 11 chapters of Romans is unpacking this glorious message of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. And then Paul shifts and starts to teach the church how they should live in light of that because of God's mercy and grace. Here's what that means for you and your life together. And he wants them to see that you are not just saved from something. You're not just saved from sin and death and judgment. You are saved from those things, but you're also saved for something. You're saved for a purpose in Christ. And to help us understand this, he uses the familiar image of a human body. Anyone here have a body? Okay, yeah, everybody? Great, okay. And he says... Each of us has a body, verse 4. Everyone has a body. Many different members, though, make up that body. Ears, eyes, feet, and so on. Right? They all have different functions. And then verse 5. So, in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so, here in Romans 12, and if you were to flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, you would see that language of the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard that term before, that idea before. This is where it comes from. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And so I want us to chew on this for a little bit and start in verse 5 of Romans 12 with this key point of theology, the doctrine of union with Christ. That through faith, if you are a Christian, you've been joined to Jesus, connected to Christ. And all the benefits 
And all the blessings of salvation come to you because you are found in him, in Christ. And you'll see that language if you read throughout the New Testament, being in Christ, Christ being in you. And if we are in Christ, then together we're connected to one another because we form his body, each of us having different functions within the body. And again, the illustration is really pretty simple to grasp, right? If you even just take a look at your own hands, you see you have fingers and you have palms and you have a wrist and you have forearms and elbows. And in order for your arm and hand to function properly, all these different parts have to work together. They don't all do the same thing, but they all together accomplish the task that you want accomplished, like grabbing a bag of Cheetos or Doritos or Fritos or something of that nature. And we know, many of us know the, the frustration that comes if part of our body doesn't work right. right. If you have back pain or shoulder pain or knee pain or pain of some kind, if a part, even just one part of your body isn't functioning properly, it can be really frustrating and make all of your life difficult if that part of the body doesn't cooperate. And so Paul's trying to help us see, hey, we are the body of Christ. Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus is now joined together as his body, and together we have this call in the world to accomplish the mission of God, to participate in the purpose of God in Christ in the world. Every believer has something to contribute. Every Christian has a part to play in the body. And if we understand that, and if we grasp that image, it'll protect us from two really common errors. Two common errors that come up when we think about following Jesus. And the first error is believing, I don't belong, or I don't have a purpose in the body of Christ. Right? Some of us think, well, because I'm not gifted like that person, I don't belong, I don't have much to contribute, that person is more visible, more celebrated, has more gifts, is more flashy, whatever it might be. So I'm not gifted like that. So what do I really bring to the table? What do I have to contribute? We have this tendency to compare ourselves with other people that can bring division in the body. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing as he's writing these New Testament letters, wanting the church not to divide, not to compare, but rather to be unified and approach life celebrating their differences and strengths. And he says in verse 4, you see, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. The members of the body do not all have the same function. In 1 Corinthians 12, 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Again, his point's it's simple. We need the variety of gifts within the body in order for us to be healthy as a church, in order for us to be effective in our witness as a church. So not just a few visible gifts are necessary. We need everybody participating and playing their part. No matter how big or small, visible or behind the scenes, it actually hurts the body if one of its members is missing. One of the members is not functioning how they were designed to function by God. It actually harms the whole body. And so we all have a part to play. 
If you watch any team sport, you can see this principle on display, but let's just think together about one team sport. It's football season almost. So let's think about football and how this would uh, play out. Number 10 there is our good friend Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, a little woo indeed. I'm a 49ers fan, hence the picture. Now, I know his name. Maybe some of you know his name as well. If you know a professional athlete's name in the NFL, chances are it's a quarterback like Jimmy, or on a first name basis, or a running back, or a wide receiver, like one of the, the flashy, exciting players that scores lots of points, you know, the stars that we talk about, they're usually in those few positions. And yet, in order for Jimmy to be successful and do what he does, there are handfuls of other players that have to do their job. Like number 68, does anyone know his name? Nope. Does anyone own an offensive lineman's jersey in the NFL? No. And unless they're in your family, you probably wouldn't buy a jersey. We don't know their names. They're not stars. And yet, they are crucial to the success of the team. If number 68 wasn't standing right there, what would happen to Jimmy Garoppolo? He'd die, yeah. He'd, he'd get tackled. He'd get mauled. He wouldn't be able to do his job if number 68 and the rest of the offensive line weren't doing their job. They're very important. If you don't have a good offensive line, you don't have a good football team. You're like the Raiders. It's terrible. <laughs> I know. So, so there you go. But seriously, think about it. We don't know the names of the offensive linemen in a handful of other positions, and yet they are crucial to the success of the team. And so in Christ, not all of us are as visible as everyone else, or our gifts aren't as seen or applauded or maybe noticed by everybody, and yet we all are needed to succeed. Following Jesus is a team sport. If we understand this, it will protect us from a second error, and that is believing that we don't need other people. That's the other error we error we slip into, especially as modern-day Westerners. We think we're self-sufficient, but we're not. There are plenty of things you're good at, but there are plenty of things you're not good at. Plenty of things that we'd rather have someone else handle. Thank you very much. Right? We have places that we're not strong, areas of growth, things that we're not gifted in, that other people are good at. And they are the ones that can use their gifts in that way. And so the church will not be healthy if the members of the church are isolated. And the members of the church will not be healthy if they remain isolated. We need one another. If you were to say to Paul, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church, he'd look at you funny, and he'd probably throw a Bible at you. and slap you. Like it, just, it wouldn't make any sense to Paul's mind or the authors of the New Testament to say that, hey, let's just do this Jesus thing on our own. No, we need one another as we follow Jesus. And Paul says as much in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says that I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Well, following Jesus is a team sport. Now to be clear, this morning we're not just talking about human abilities. As if Paul is just throwing out some pragmatic suggestion on how we, humanly speaking, should organize ourselves to be effective. No, there's more going on here in the text. 
And maybe you notice that. Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So God gives us these gifts. God gives us grace. 1 Corinthians 12 explains further. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so, you see in these passages that it is God, the Holy Spirit, who gives gifts to the church. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers believers for lives of service and ministry. This is the topic of spiritual gifts, if you've heard that language. That's where uh, these texts are where that idea comes from. And verse 4 tells us that the Spirit distributes the gifts. Again, it's God himself who determines how he's going to use you and how he's going to use you and how he's going to work through you. The Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. And for some of us, that means that when you become a Christian, you find yourself with new passions, desires, abilities, things that you want to pursue that were not present in your life before. And as you've given yourself to the Lord, you now find these new gifts and directions and things that you want to pursue because the Holy Spirit has put that on your heart and put that in your life. For some of us, that's the way it works. But for some people, when they become believers, God, the Holy Spirit, takes maybe talents, abilities, things they've cultivated in their past and takes them, may strengthen them, and may use those gifts for his purposes. And so it might look a little different for each person, depending on when you became a Christian and what that looks like, but the point is the Holy Spirit, once you are in Christ, determines how he will use you to bless the church and to be effective on mission as a believer. These are not just human abilities. It's important, too, when we look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, which says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so these gifts that we're talking about are exactly that, manifestations of the Spirit, how God shows up through us, how God works through you, God working through us. And so sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts, it's like, well, God gave me this special Christian superpower, and I'm going to carry it around in my pocket, and God's over there, and I, just, I now have this gift, and I'm going to use it over here, and I'm going to use it over here, just however I choose. But by definition, that doesn't really work. By definition, gifts of the Spirit are God working through us, God showing up through us. So it's really impossible to use spiritual gifts in a way that's somehow separated from God himself, separated from God's presence, separated from the moving of the Spirit. It doesn't work like that. And the second thing we need to see in verse 7 is the purpose for these gifts. What does it say? It says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For the common good. That the church would be built up, unified, grow to maturity in Christ. The church would be healthy and effective on mission. Lee's brother is a pastor and he put it this way. He said, spiritual gifts are not from you and they're not for you. They're not from you. 
They're God-given, and they're not for you. They're for the common good, for other people, for people in this room, that we as a church might be healthy and built up. And so in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see there's this image of all of us being a part of the body of Christ. Everyone has a part to play. Now you might be wondering still, again, where do I fit into that? In general, that's a great theory. In general, that's a great concept. But can we get a little more specific about different forms that could take? Well, yes, we can. If we read on in Romans 12, verse 6, it gives us an idea of what these gifts are actually going to look like. Let's read. It says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Romans 12 gives us a list of seven possible gifts, possible ways the Holy Spirit would use believers, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and mercy. Now, if you were to go and read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are some other gifts of the Spirit mentioned there. We could add to the list healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, uh, discernment or distinguishing between spirits, helping, administration, and we could even turn to Ephesians 4 and add more to the list, but we're not going to do that right now. But I want you to notice two things from, these, from this list. The first is that some of these gifts appear more miraculous. They appear more supernatural, right? Especially the list of gifts from 1 Corinthians 12. Now, by definition, again, all of these are supernatural. By definition, all of these are God working through us. However, some of them appear more visibly supernatural, more miraculous, more noticeably Supernatural, And some of those gifts are referred to as the sign gifts, signs and wonders, things like healing, miracles, speaking in tongues. And there's actually a debate today and has been throughout church history as to whether or not those miraculous gifts are still functioning today, are still in operation. And there's a big, long conversation we could have about that. There's one camp that says, no, they're not. That, and it's not that healing doesn't happen, it's not that miracles don't happen, but just as a normative ministry of the church today, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way and ceased working that way after the time of the apostles. That's one camp. And then another group of people will say, no, actually we still do see those gifts operating today, like we would expect in the New Testament. Um, and again, we could talk a long time about that, but what I will say is that I think... Um, there is, I have concerns about some of the more signs and wonders gifts. I think that we've seen some abuses of those, uh, I want to say gifts because that's maybe not the right way to phrase it, but we've seen a unhealthy draw or attraction to some of the miraculous, some of the supernatural that I'm wary of, that I think we need to have discernment about. And, and frankly, we don't see those gifts operating in our church context. Let me just be honest, we don't see those gifts really functioning here. And in my experience growing up uh, and my time in seminary, I, again, personally did not see or experience those gifts being normative. So that's important to note. But I also am not 
wholly convinced that we have uh, grounds to say that the Holy Spirit never works that way anymore. I'm not sure I'm completely convinced from Scripture that those gifts are no longer anywhere uh, in functioning today. So again, that could be a much longer conversation, but we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about those again because in our context, we don't really see them. If you wanted to talk about, again, how God might be working elsewhere in the world, uh, being open to that in general, would love to have that conversation with you. So that's the first thing I think that needs to be said about those gifts. Uh, the second thing is that you notice the lists are different. All right? In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and if you look to Ephesians 4, not all the same gifts are mentioned. And so Paul doesn't give us, or the authors of Scripture don't give us, here is like the official compiled, you know, like these 10 are the only acceptable words you can use about spiritual gifts. They're not meant to be exhaustive. They're merely examples, and they do a good job of giving us a pretty broad uh, sweep of what the spiritual gifts can look like, but it's possible that some of us would be gifted in ways that we wouldn't directly link to one of these words used in these passages, although in general I think they're a really great place to land and start. And so what I want to do is just briefly move through the list in Romans 12, talk about the seven that are mentioned there, and try to understand them, give us a good basis, and then maybe, again, help you see, oh, that sounds like me, or that sounds like a way that God uses me. So let's talk about it a little bit. The first one mentioned is prophecy. So when God uses someone to share a word from God, usually an insight into the present, something that people need to hear or see that other people aren't quite aware of, I would not ever give someone the title prophet today. I don't think these words would be on par with scripture. This is not like the role or office in the Old Testament. However, if this gift is rightly understood, it would be God giving a word, some sort of truth, some sort of insight to someone that is meant to share for the building up of the church. Now, similar here, but not exactly the same, would be the gift of uh, discernment or distinguishing between spirits, being able to be sensitive to uh, spiritual things that are happening and point out whether something is from God or whether it's not from God. Certain people, by the Spirit, are more in tune to those sorts of things than other people. Next, serving is listed. This is when God uses someone to perform various tasks, meet material or practical needs. Um, we're all called to serve, so you can't just be like, I don't have the gift of serving, I'm not going to help you. That's not the way it works. We're all called to serve, but some people have this special ability, again, by God, this heart to jump in and help other people and show up. And it's very life-giving for them to take on jobs that maybe other people don't always love doing. When I think about the gift of serving, I think about Jay Coop, who we love. I think about Mikey Palmer, Jordan, uh, with the glasses there, just shows up to everything helps out like crazy during the week. He puts stuff on the seats here. He stuffs the bulletin. He does all kinds of things to help the church. He helps it red awning every morning. I mean, this guy serves like crazy. And it's not just that, hey, he's a great guy. It's that God works through him. Same with Mikey Palmer. Mikey Palmer is not just a good guy. He's a good guy. But again, God uses him in this special way. It's God working through him to bless people. Again, how many of you have had Mikey help you move? Yeah, okay, a few more. In first service, there were a few more hands. When I had to move a few months ago, the day before, Mikey called me up. I was like, hey, I heard you have to move. I was like, yeah. He's like, can I help? I was like, 
Yeah, please. And he did. I mean, normally when you have to move, you have to go seek out other people to come help you. But he was seeking me out, saying, like, hey, you're moving? Can I show up? Of course. Would love that. And I know he's done that for countless other people. He brings a crew. And again, he has a heart to bless people in those ways. I don't have that heart. <laughs> Sometimes I do. But I don't have that gift. I don't. But God works through Mikey in a special way and Jordan Cooper and many other people in this church as well. The next gift mentioned is teaching. This is when God uses someone to explain or clearly articulate truths from his word. When someone can teach or explain who God is, help people understand what the Bible says. We see this gift in, I think, our pastoral staff here and many of our board members and many of our small group leaders, right? This ability to say, hey, here's what this passage says, and let me explain that in a clearer way. Or if this is difficult to understand, let me put that in a way that you can understand and learn and take with you. That is a very important way that the Holy Spirit builds up his church. Next, we see encouragement. Encouragement is when God uses someone to motivate someone, to challenge them, maybe to comfort them. Sometimes this is translated uh, exhortation, to exhort someone, which is like to call out something in them. It could be, again, something really good and comforting and encouraging. It could be uh, a more, again, motivating, challenging type situation. Uh, and with encouragement, I think of the one and only Kathy Wright. <laughs> if you know Kathy... You love Kathy. She's incredible. And she has the gift of encouragement. And it's not, again, it's not that she's just a nice lady. It's that God uses her and moves through her to build up other people, to comfort them when they need it, to, to motivate them, to lift their spirits. I mean, you could be walking down the street in anger and frustration and kick a stray cat. And right afterwards, Kathy could come up to you and say, hey, you are loved. God is at work in your life. I want you to know you are beloved. God is doing something in you. He's going to do something in your life today. He is with you. I just want you to know that. Have a great day. Thank you, Kathy. Like really, she just has a way of encouraging people. That is a gift that God has given his church. Next is giving. Similar to service, but when God uses someone to meet the needs of others, especially material needs, these people find it maybe easier than others to share resources, to share time, to share energy for the good of other people. It's life-giving. They find joy in blessing people in that way. Next, we see leading when God uses someone to organize and empower a group to live out its God-given purpose. And this reminds us that health in a family, in an organization, especially in the church, it doesn't just happen. Right? Sometimes... If we're left to our own devices, things can be rather, rather scattered and unorganized. And God calls people to step out in front, to bring vision and direction and organize a group of people to live out its God-given purpose. Similar to this gift is the gift of administration, which is people, often type A kind of people, who bring order and structure to chaotic situations. Right, some of you love to jump into a mess and sort it out. Like you're really good at administration, at organizing things, at lining things up. You thrive when God puts you in a place to do that. I'm not particularly gifted with the whole administration thing. That can be a bit more of a challenge for me personally. And then the last one mentioned in the book of Romans is the gift of mercy, which is when God uses someone to care for those who are marginalized, 
or be sensitive to the needs of people who are often ignored. People with the gift of mercy see people that are often overlooked, are quick to come to the aid or to the defense of those who are maybe disadvantaged or struggling. And when I think about the gift of mercy, I think about Amber, my wife. If you know her, she has an incredible heart for people, a love for people, especially people who are are struggling or maybe overlooked or maybe the rest of us would be impatient with them. She has a way of just coming to their aid, being patient and gracious and standing with them. Again, I don't have this gift. And often I'll come to Amber frustrated about something or someone and I'll share with her all the reasons why and her response often will be, just give them a break. Seriously, like it'll be like, Realize what they're going through. Realize they're trying their best. Be patient. Extend grace to them. When I'm frustrated or angry at a situation or a person, she constantly will say, hey, hey, give them grace. She has a heart for people in that place. That's a gift. Again, maybe many of you have the gift of mercy and are sensitive to the needs of people there. So again, this list is not exhaustive. But I think it gives us a good idea of the possibilities, the different ways the Holy Spirit has equipped you and wants to use you to build up the church and be effective on mission with God. And if you notice, as we talk about some of these things, uh, these are areas where we are meant to thrive, where when we serve in our gifting, there is joy there. So it's not always that like serving God is just a sacrifice and it's a drudgery and we just hate it, and it's hard. Sometimes it is that, but other times when we're serving in our gifting, there's great joy. It's very life-giving. We thrive in that place. We find how God has gifted us, and we serve there. It can be exhilarating. It can be rewarding. And so, as part of the body of Christ, each of you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit has gifted you, empowered you, wants to use you to bless other people, to build up the church, and to be effective on mission with God. And so, we wanted to give you an opportunity today, again, not just to hear about the concept of spiritual gifts, but to step into them, potentially. And so, after the service, we're going to actually have some food out on the patio, and we're going to have different leaders from various ministries out on the lawn. And so I would encourage you to head out to the lawn after the service and talk with some of these ministry leaders and explore different ways that you could serve, whether it's in our kids' ministry or our youth ministry or a variety of other options that are laid out in the uh, pamphlets that you had on your seats when you came in. There are outreach opportunities, walk through Bethlehem opportunities, all kinds of ways that you can serve and contribute to what God is doing here and throughout the world. And so I want to encourage you to take that step and realize too that sometimes finding our gifts and finding how God wants to work through us can be a process. It's not always clear on the surface for us. And so it takes two things. One, it takes steps of faith where we step out and try different things or we step out and serve in different ways. And we can learn a lot when we just jump in and see how God either confirms that direction or might want to redirect us into a different ministry. And finding our gifts also takes community. Again, by definition, these gifts are meant for the common good that the church might be built up. And so we don't discover our gifts in isolation. 
We have to do life together, and that's where we will see how God is moving in us to bless people, to help people, to meet needs, where we thrive. We'll find that if we do life together in a small group and as we try different things with other people, we'll start to see how God has shaped us and wants to use us. And so, don't be discouraged if it takes a little bit of time and thought and prayer and conversation with people who know you to really see how God wants to use you. But again, take that opportunity today. After the service in a few minutes, take that booklet, head out to the lawn and meet with some fantastic leaders. And know too that again, there can be a trial period with this. You're not signing up to serve church coffee for the next decade, okay? You can try it for a season. See how God wants to use you in it and then go from there. Well, before we close, we have an opportunity to take communion together as a church. And then this is where we remember Jesus, our King, Jesus, our Savior. We remember what unites us, and that is faith in Christ. And so we come to the table to remember him and his death on the cross for us. We take the elements, his body represented in the bread, his blood represented in the cup, and we remember his sacrifice for us, that in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we're restored to right relationship with God, of the hope and joy of eternal life. And so, we invite you as the music plays, uh, if you have put your faith in Jesus, would you come participate with us? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and uh, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, just encourage you to remain seated as the music plays and reflect on the things we've talked about. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross for us. That you died in our place, that we might be forgiven of our sins, washed clean by your blood, and restored to a right relationship with you. And God, we have been saved for a purpose, Lord. You call us, you want to use us to glorify you, to love people, to use our gifts for the good of the church and the good of the world. And so I pray that you would guide us in that as we step out. But together, Jesus, we remember you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.